Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the great Jared Harris talks about his new movie in the Dublin International Film Festival, Reawakening, about a father missing a missing daughter, as well as great roles in things like Mad Men and Chernobyl. We review the new movie, Wicked Little Letters, and impressionist Al Foran chats about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. I hope you're doing well. Now, I suppose the big movie news of the week was the success of Oppenheimer, and in particular, from an Irish point of view, Killian Murphy at the BAFTAs. And uh, it's his to lose, as they say. Screen Actors Guild on Sunday night. Will he win there? We shall see. I was... There was a lot of nice things at the uh, BAFTAs. It's an enjoyable watch, but... The one I really liked was Samantha Morton, great actress, got a fellowship award, kind of a lifetime achievement of sorts, or she's now a BAFTA fellow. And uh, I thought her speech was wonderful. I mean, for me, this is, this is really nothing short of a miracle. It's when I first saw Ken Loach's Kez on a huge telly that was wheeled into my classroom, I was forever changed, forever Because seeing poverty and people like me, my life and my family on the screen, I recognise myself. See, representation matters. In 2008, I directed my first film, The Unloved, and it was about faith, my belief in God, and it was hope and forgiveness. But as much as anything, it was what I wanted to tell little Sam. Homeless and cold, hungry and alone that you'll have a family one day and you'll have a life beyond what the government statistics have laid out for you because you matter. So don't give up. You see, the stories we tell, they they actually, they have the power to change people's lives. That's a little flavour of Samantha Morton there talking about how delighted she was to be part of all this and representation. You see, representation... It can be almost glib, and I've maybe even mentioned glibly, the idea of, you know, the more different types of people we see, the more representative it is. And it can almost become a cliche, but there's an example of someone talking about what a movie meant to her and seeing someone from a troubled working class background and how important Kez was for her. I just thought that was gorgeous. And such a heartfelt speech, you know? And those, you know, people give out, to people or criticise people for the speeches they give at these award ceremonies but I think their lives rush before them these actors and actresses sometimes it's it's the highest pinnacle in their career in some ways not necessarily for them but at, at that moment when they're given a golden statue be it an Oscar or a BAFTA you know it, it it's a real moment and as I say life rushes before them and I just thought that was a beautifully heartfelt you know plea to how important movies are and how they are literally life-changing. And I would like to think that's, you know, kind of the credo of this show. Of course, we also, that's a bit highfalutin, but there I said it. 
We also discuss TV on this show regularly, every week, because it is a movie and TV show. And, you know, and we often talk about, you know, meaty stuff like True Detective and Breaking Bad and, you know, all the great TV, Mayor of Easttown, whatever you're having. But one thing returned this week, Home of the Year and RTE, which is just glorious. You know, I started watching that with my wife. That sounds again like a cliche. Oh, my wife wanted to watch it, but that was the case. And then I've kind of fallen in love with it, where Hugh Wallace, Amanda Bowen, and now Sarah Cosgrove go through people's houses and grade them <laughs> on being a home of the year. And it's just real easy, fun. Is it voyeuristic? I mean, that's probably overstating it, but going into someone's house and looking at it, it's just delightful. And I like Amanda Bowen and Sarah Cosgrove, but Hugh Wallace just brings a smile to my face. He talked on this show years ago about his favourite movie, but he's just such a calm presence, you know? In a, and you imagine, you know, the world could be on fire and he would be like, we'll be all right, we'll be fine, you know? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, he's a delightful TV presence. And Home of the Year, you know, it's, it's, it's comfort TV in the best sense of Comfort TV and this week they were traipsing around houses all over Ireland and delightfully looking at bathrooms and statement windows and, and a weird house that had a, well I, I think it was pretty weird and you know live and let live and all that but a bedroom with a shower right in the bedroom with without any frosted glass or anything so you could be lying there with your coffee looking at the view and then you would catch whoever it would be you're sharing your bedroom with in the shower straight on. So that was interesting and uh, home of the year. It, it's good, good viewing. I really enjoy it. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. The Dublin International Film Festival is in full swing and receiving its world premiere is Reawakening, a psychological mystery where John and Mary have lived in an agonising limbo of grief and guilt for the past 10 years. Their only child, Claire, ran away from home when she was 14 and no trace of her whereabouts has ever been found. When Claire returns, now a young woman of 24, Mary is overjoyed. But John comes to believe that Claire is not who she claims to be. I will not say any more than that about it. Suffice to say, it stars Jared Harris as the aforementioned John, Juliet Stevens, who's brilliant in it, as the aforementioned Mary, and Erin Doherty playing the grown-up Claire. Now, Reawakening, as I said, is getting its world premiere this weekend. Jared Harris is best known for, well, he's one of those people who probably has too long a career to go in to all the credits, but you know him from Mad Men, Chernobyl, The found Foundation... Even things like happiness, Todd Solance's happiness back in the day. I spoke to him last year for the wonderful documentary about his father, The Ghost of Richard Harris. That was on Zoom. I'm delighted to say in corporeal form, live in Dublin, Jared is in studio. Hello, sir. What, a, what an intro. I know. I was yeah. up all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, I, I'm to start in the deep end of things, I'm a parent of three. And any parent I know, the ground zero of grief is a child gone, be they missing or passed away. And like, of course you're sensitive to every role you play, but I wonder when it's this, is there, do you just have to be so mindful of that or are you just acting because that's what you have to do? Well, definitely acting. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think that you're, you're drawing on everything that, that feels it's in a similar ballpark, you know? I mean, uh, and, and that one understands completely that, that's got to be the the worst grief possible. So, um, 
But I mean, grief is grief. So Sure. What I really like about the film is that John and Mary, despite this tragedy, when we meet them, they're still... They're still it. together. Yeah, but and it normally rips families apart. It normally rips couples apart. And they still they found a way to be together. And they seem to be getting on as well. Well, and it's very interesting because the way they're getting on is they don't bring it up. Mm. But when you, you see that little clip in the beginning of um, they're sitting down after supper to watch television, they're watching the procedural police drama yeah. about girls disappearing or, yeah. you know, bodies showing up yeah. so um and it's something that's that's the way they're dealing with it in a way it's there but they just don't discuss it and it's right in front of them but they don't discuss it it's mm. very english i suppose in that way and you know i don't want to give any kind of spoiler because no I, and I, I i read that because that's what they sent me now yes. i have watched it by yeah. the way but i was just wondering how yeah. far i could go because <laughs> you want to draw people in because i i really enjoyed it and one of the bits about your performance that I really enjoy, and I hope it's not a spoiler, is he's on the street watching young women, as creepy as that sounds, and he's talking to himself. That's it. It's so well done, and you're like a you're like a madman in a way. You're like one of these, for want of a better phrase, a crazy person on the street talking to himself. Did did that strike you? Where you? Well, it's find an inner it? monologue. He's not talking to himself out loud. It's an inner monologue. That's true. That's true. But Your lips seem to move at times, though. Maybe, I, maybe I'm misremembering right. that. Yeah, it's an inner monologue. But and of course, just and in the, the things that Virginia is playing with in the beginning is the whole sort of host of of pre uh, presumptions that we make. Is it, it does seem pervy? Like he's sitting mm. there looking at all these women, and then totally realise that he's he's trying to see if he can spot somebody specific and that specific person is okay his daughter's disappeared he doesn't know where she is and he's trying to imagine what she would look like because he's still looking for her so then you know in a way that becomes a sort of uh what what you would want is that your parent wouldn't give up on you and fight when would still try to find you mm. um and then that leads into the what the so superficially the film is a mystery yeah right and then, but really what it's about is, is about how these two people have chosen to handle grief and they're completely different ways of dealing mm. with it. Yeah. You are a train enthusiast in it, <laughs> which is fine by me. You yeah. know, we all have our pleasures, take them where you can and all that. And yet, the again, not to give a spoiler, but the train becomes very important and a motif. I yeah. wonder when you get a script like that, are those the moments you go, oh yeah, that's that's great. I can I can work with that. Uh you may I, not I mean of it was it was that was a, a way of hiding. Right. I, the way that I looked at it was a it was a way of avoiding something. And it became a a meditative space for him. Yeah. Um I I'm not wasn't a train enthusiast particularly growing up, um, but I understand that you do have what what those kind of obsessions are like. Mm. Mm. This is getting its world premiere this weekend. Yeah, Diff Dublin International Film Festival. Are you? I mentioned your many credits and too many to mention all that. Are you too long in the game now to get terrified about the reception of this? Or is your work done in that regard? Well, I'd like it to be sold out. Hmm. <laughs> I want a, That's why you're here. I want a full theatre. 
Um, and I, you don't, I've never seen this in front of an audience mm. before, so it's always uh, heart and mouth time when you sit there and watch it for the first time with an audience because that's the first time you really know what you've got. Yeah. I uh, was surprised when people heard you were coming in there was a, a bit of a buzz around. Okay. And I've had a few you heavy hitters on the show. How well, rude. No, not, no, bear with me for a second. But it, it's <laughs> leading on to a, out of that one. <laughs> hopefully a pleasant question. You're quite famous now. Okay. And I'm wondering, how has that been, particularly since Mad Men? Are, are you okay with people stopping you on the street? Has it just they don't been... stop you on the street, so that's good. Okay. I've been a character actor, so... Um, it was interesting because we were, my wife and I were traveling through Heathrow and we were in a, a lift going up somewhere and I, I started, we were chatting, I was talking to her and there's two other people in the lift suddenly turned around and we had our masks on, right? you know, and they turned around and, um, they went, I, I know you. And it was more the voice. So, right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Humble, it seems, as well. Who knew? By the way, I was delighted you were coming in and excited. I was just surprised by how much enthusiasm there was among my colleagues. So there you go. (laughs) Tell me this. uh, I'm talking to Stellan Skarsgård next week for Doom Incident. Yes. And it, it brings us to Chernobyl. And I love that TV series. It's about something very dark, obviously. And I was thinking about this. You know, I remember Ben Kingsley saying they got to Poland and they were filming Schindler's List and he was angry. Chernobyl is great TV, but it's incredibly grave and dark and why wouldn't it be? Like, was the set, it must, like, is it possible to have laughs in that environment? When you have you make- to have laughs. The, the, the heavier it is, the, you've got to, okay. I mean, Stalin's always a great person for that as well. He's ex- He always keeps things light and jokey and he's incredibly self-effacing and, um, uh, he's just wonderful company, and so is Emily as well. So yeah. you have to, because otherwise you become weary, and and yeah. that it, it's a you know it's a nerve, and if you keep hitting that nerve, it goes numb. Okay. So you 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 have to you have to do everything you can to to stay away from it, so that it's it's still live when you need it. Mm, interesting. Mad Men, of course, which comes up whenever you're interviewed, and this interview will be no exception. But a friend of mine out here today in the enthusiasm and excitement of your arrival was just did, saying did you survey your your co-workers to find out why they were excited just your 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 general presence <laughs> and you haven't disappointed so far there's a room of people staring in at me so well you not not at me i'm under no illusions uh, but they were they were reminding me of the level of detail on mad men was just incredible to the sure. point that they went to you know boutique stores to get the right antique furniture from the mm. 50s and 60s was that a special environment in terms of just how the level of detail was so on the money? It was a good, very good lesson. When you'd open the drawer of uh, in your office, say, there would only be stuff in there that was uh, appropriate to that time period. And then, of course, they knew what the time period was for each episode, so that stuff would get changed out for each episode. Okay. Um, and even the stuff that was on the desk, if there was sort of a bowl of sweets, it would be sweets that would sold then you know and the, wow. the wrappers that were available then and which is quite a challenge but after a while um because he cared so much mm. the the people who worked in those departments knew that if they worked they went that extra mile to find the real stuff and brought it to him mm. 
he would be thrilled, you know, and um, th they would then be rewarded in that way because they would have been recognised of having done a great job and going that extra mile. So, okay, yeah, it was a, it, it was it, all about the detail, even down to in the story. If Don was staying late at the office, they would figure out what train was available for him to go back to the fake place that he lived at because they would know where that was and wow. how long would he have had to catch the next train. And if it was too long, he would have stopped off at a bar or somewhere and then even missed that one. All these little things would influence their, their what stories they could tell. Yeah. You know? That's fascinating. I spoke to you last year for The Ghost of Richard Harris mm. and I was surprised by how much and how happy you were to talk about your dad. Why surprise? Because in my experience, people who have famous parents, I'm talking about Ridley Scott's son, for instance, mm -hmm. the last thing they want to talk about is their famous parent. Is it, are you so happy to do it because either of two things, he was your dad and you loved him, or that you one. have no, you've done your own stuff so it doesn't really matter anymore? No, I, that one, I I mean, I... I'm, I love I love him. I miss him. Mm. Um, I'm happy to talk about him. And if, and people, if they have news stories that I haven't heard, I love those ones. I love collecting those ones. So yeah, yeah. You know, your dad was prone to hyperbole, as you know better than anyone. <laughs> and but he said this great thing on the late late about when they were thinking about casting him for the Bull McCabe in the field. Someone said, "Is he still alive?" And I, th some of that stuck in my mind. And the interviews he did with Gay Byrne, and no disrespect to anyone who took over that chair, were just brilliant TV. Whether some of them were hyperbolic to the point of not being true, who cares? They were great interviews. But it just got me thinking, did your dad, did he feel let down by the reception he got in Ireland over the years? or Because I know he was a proud Irish man, but sure. did he have any regrets about, I don't know, his treatment by the Irish? I don't, why would he be upset about that? I, I mean, I, I, my only experience of it being here with him was that he was treated with uh, a great respect, love and affection. So mm. I don't know... Well, so there was no, like there was specific. no, no, there was just, I felt that he didn't get the love he deserved from this really? place because he was one of the first bona fide Irish film stars, sure, yeah, you know? Sure. Well, male, he was like, the, because he had more in horror before yeah, that. But, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm a prisoner of my own gender yeah. in these questions. I know there's a statue and stuff to him and all that, but oh, my, that stuff. that's Limerick. Yeah. But my sense was he didn't get the love he deserved when he was alive from here. Uh, I I couldn't ask that question okay. for you. I mean, he never he never said that to me, so I don't know where where I'm getting that. Yeah. From. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And you know, I see it myself with my own kids, who I mentioned before. I see them doing things that remind me of my own father, who's long since passed, sitting across from me. I can really see your dad. Are are people saying that to you a lot? Um, I mean, I suppose of the three brothers, I'd look the most like him. Yeah. Um, but I, it's different. I mean, my younger brother in temperament reminds me of him a lot. Okay. Um, uh, you know, you all, you, you take different things from your parents and you don't even realize mm. what they are. So, yeah. um, we've all got bits of both my mother and father in us. So as every child does, um, yeah, I, I can see a certain, you know, physical resemblance as I get older. I yeah. couldn't see it when I was younger. 
Yeah. I think I looked more like Mick Jagger when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I can't comment on that. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like... Feel free. <laughs> You've said other things. <laughs> I've said equally offensive things, yeah. No. Not offensive. No. Yeah, curious things yeah. maybe, you know. Uh, tell me this. What's next after this is over? What are you filming next or can you say... Uh, I'm uh, season three of Foundation is going to restart, so mm-hmm. I still owe them that. And then after that, I'm not sure. Right, I'm reading lots of stuff, and uh, you know, I just did a play in London, which I really enjoyed. So, thinking about other opportunities in that area. Mm. So I don't know yet. You know, you're you're always hopeful every time someone sends you a script that you're gonna. This is gonna be like this one, like Reawakening. Mm. It's gonna be you just just going to get drawn in immediately yeah. and know that the the writer is in completely in command of you know the 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 narrative of the story but also the thematic uh questions that the the story is in, uh, trying to get at yeah you know? well reawakening is a fantastic watch it's going to get a general release in this part of the world in Ireland and England in July and I think we're going to talk to Aaron so I will gladly talk about it again it has been the highlight of my week if not my month to have Jared Harris in studio he has caused a kerfuffle within the building of news talk it's lovely to meet you bless you thank you for having me the one and only Jared Harris there and if you are listening on Saturday evening on the radio there are still a few tickets left for the screening of Reawakening, which is a fantastic watch in the Lighthouse. Uh, So get onto the website or even go up to the building and go see Reawakening as part of the Dublin International Film Festival. Up next, a new movie called Wicked Little Letters. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn now to the week's big new movie release. I think it's the biggest one of the week. Wicked Little Letters. I nearly called it Wicked Little Lies. Wicked Little Letters, all about nasty letters, starring the great Jesse Buckley and the equally great Olivia Coleman. I'm joined now by Neve O'Reilly, freelance writer and movie buff, to tell me all about it. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. All the better for you coming in to regale me with a tale of a, well, it's not an Irish movie. It just happens to have an Irish star in it, right? It does, and she is terrific in it. Um, and so is Olivia Coleman. The two of them are just... And Timothy Spall is there as well, He's isn't he? He's great in this. Yeah, so the cast is very, very good. Okay. Um, so this is about a post-war little town in London where horrible letters are arriving to someone or something like that. Basically. So this is actually a based on a bonkers real life story oh. that happened in the early 1920s, so post-World War One, in a lovely little town um, called Littlehampton, seaside town. Um, which actually exists, Which or actually did. exists, yeah. but I'd urge people not to Google this before going into the film okay. because it's a genuinely good story, okay. so don't ruin it for yourselves. But Google it afterwards because it is interesting. Um, so uh, Olivia Coleman plays um, Edith and she is, I suppose, for want of a better word, a spinster who's <laughs> at home. Can you say that? I know. At in the, the parlance time, of the day. Yeah, in the parlance of the day, of that she day. would have been called a spinster. Now she's just like a regular woman. Um, but she's living at home with her ageing parents and her father's played by Timothy Spall. He's a very kind of domineering, scary kind of guy. Um, and she's very pious. She reads the Bible about five times a day. You know, she's an upstanding 
pillar of the community, goes out and plays women's whist and all this sort of thing. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very um, godly, good woman. Um, and then next door arrives um, Jessie Buckley's character, Rose. Mm-hmm. And she's actually playing an Irish woman in this. So she's moved over from Ireland. Her husband has died in the war. She has a, a daughter, maybe around 10 or 11. So she's a single parent. She's moved here for kind of a new life. And moves in right next door. But she is the polar opposite to Edith. She swears, she's loud, she drinks, she tells people, you know, what she thinks to their face. You know, she's brash. Complete opposite. So on paper, these two would not be friends. Right. And is she, my understanding, again, to use the parlance of the day, I thought she had a child out of wedlock, but she was actually married to her husband, was she? Uh, Well, we don't want to go into any spoiler territory. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, To say more might ruin the plot. Fair enough. Um, But let's just say, you know, for the story that she is giving people is that her husband died in the war. So she wants to sort of start her life again. Fair enough. Um, So... Polar opposites on paper, you wouldn't say that they would be friends, but they actually strike up a really nice little rapport with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Edith kind of finds a bit of freedom in Rose's demeanour and the way she speaks out and is just living her life freely, mm. you know, against the conventions of the time. Um, and I think Rose, despite herself, sees a little something in Edith. You know, maybe she could be a slightly, not a better behaved woman, but maybe she could learn a little something Mm. from her too. So they get on famously well. The friendship seems to be going, you know, really, really well, but they have a falling out. Um, And it's sort of to do with um, Edith's very controlling, um, domineering father. Mm. So they fall out, unfortunately, and they live right next door. So that is a little bit awkward. Um, And then very soon after the falling out, Edith starts getting these uh, really nasty poison pen letters. They're anonymous and they are filled with the most horrific, off the wall, bonkers, you know, sweary language and insults, you know. And from what I, the clips I've seen, because unfortunately I haven't seen this, it's fairly, not that I was offended or anything, but they're (laughs) fairly full on for the time, aren't they? Uh, For the time, yes, absolutely. And I feel like it's kind of a gimmick, you know, a marketing gimmick maybe, you know, with the film. It's kind of funny to watch these prim and proper Mm. 1920s women swearing, you know. Um, And The Shine wears off that quite quickly. Um, But in any case, Rose is the prime suspect here because they've had a falling out and she's this brash, loud, you know, Mm. sweary sort of woman. Um, So all of the fingers are pointed at her at the start, you know, but she makes a very good point. She says... Why would I send a letter when I can say it to your face? Because she has no problem doing that. She yeah. does it a lot. Um, so that's kind of the setup of the plot. And does it become a kind of mystery who's sending these letters? It does become a mystery, but I have to say you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes okay. to figure out who the culprit actually is. Um, and I think there's a lot more going on to this story than just the swearing, you mm. know. And I think, as I say, the swearing has been used as kind of a marketing gimmick. And at the start, it is funny. Mm. <laughs> but it gets see, a bit repetitive. It gets a bit repetitive. Yeah. And are we really shocked by seeing women swearing? Indeed. Uh, not really. And is there some kind of modern metaphor for online trolling or something in the form Absolutely, of these letters? Because, like, I think it's a really timely story because we like to think that trolling is a new phenomenon, you know, on Twitter and social media. Um, but, you know, the poison pen letter has... Mm. It's 
goes back years and years, way before social media um, and the power that words can have, you know, over people's lives. But really, I think this story is very much about kind of it's uh, the sexism of the time mm-hmm. and how the culture was changing. You know, it's it's early 1920s. The war is ending. Suffrage is happening. Yeah. Women are trying to break out of these conventions and roles that have been put upon them. Yeah. And you kind of really see that in this film. There's a community of women who kind of start to delve into the case and kind of are become amateur sleuths, if you like, to try and find the real culprit. Because okay. it's very easy to blame Rose, you know. She's Absolutely. This, you know, sweary, loud Irish immigrant. It's got to be her, you know. Yeah. But they actually take a step back and say, well, hang on, what's going on here? Mm. And there's um, a, a police woman in this. It, she's Gladys um, in it and she's fantastic. She's one of the first female police officers at the time. Okay. And she's basically told more or less to stop looking into the case. But she knows there's much more going on here. But she's totally dismissed by her male colleagues because there wasn't really women, you know, police officers at the time. And she's continually addressed as woman police officer. Okay. (laughs) Which becomes like, you know, to the point where people are like, you don't have to say you're a woman. I can see you're a woman, you know, but this is placed upon her because of the conventions of the time. Okay. Um, So there's a lot more going on. And I think the film does really well when it gets away from kind of the sweary and delves into that and it's a much more compelling story I think when you get away from the the shock factor of of the sweary letters. That's interesting. So is there when it's all that sweary and they're swearing like Dockers is there a touch of I don't know not Benny Hill or Carry On but it's just it's a bit too obvious. And and sometimes it's overdone like there's a scene um, where Jessie Buckley's character is arrested and she's like dragged off to the local police station and she's like she's writhing she's spitting she's swearing. Mm -hmm. I thought I was looking at a scene from The Exorcist like it was just it was too much Okay, it was, like uh, it's overdone it's overcooked I think a little bit right. now, obviously you have to have it in because it's part of the story yeah. that actually happened mm-hmm. and this was big news I have to say like yeah. this at the time it wasn't just a local story this was talked about all over Britain it was talked about in Parliament I made the national newspapers this was a huge deal mm. at the time well, there are intriguing things in that and certainly the, the setting of it post-World War I and, yeah. and suffragetteism, if that's the correct way of saying it. <laughs> so, what, did you like this? Did it work for you? Yeah, it did. I liked it. I think, um, uh, you know, Olivia Coleman and, and Jessie Buckley, yeah. I would watch them read the phone book. I know, I mean, yeah. they're just so good. And Olivia Coleman has great comic timing. Mm. And the first time she has to read out one of these letters to a policeman, it's mm. very, very funny okay. because she just has that way about her. She's almost kind of winking to the camera. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, and Jessie Buckley's brilliant. She She's always so is. The two of them have a wonderful chemistry. And um, the other um, characters in the film, the other females are brilliant as well. You know, the, there's a nice little ensemble sort of going on here. Okay. And women and really lead the way. And what about Timothy Spall? Because I'm a big fan of his. He's great. He's quite scary in this. Okay. Um, he's an unpleasant father. He's an yeah. He's, he's unpleasant very, man. Unpleasant man. He's kind of an old fashioned guy, and I think he he doesn't like the fact that the world is changing. You know, and it is. It, it's a world on the cusp of change. The war is over. Suffrage is happening. Things are happening yeah. that he is not happy with. He wants to keep women in their place. And you, it really shows at the time, like sexism was rampant, you know. Mm. And if if you were not sort of a, a white Christian male, you were almost othered. I yeah. mean, women were othered, you know, immigrants were othered, people yeah. of different religions, different skin colour. Um, so it really does look at that yeah. and shines a light on it. And it's, I found that really, really interesting. So on the whole, then you said it worked for you. There's a 
problem may be that they're just hitting you over the head with the swear <laughs> words and stuff. Not everyone is universally loving this from yeah. the various reviews yeah. I've read. But if you had to give it a star rating then, Wicked Little Letters. Yeah, I'd give it a solid three. I think okay. it's definitely worth your time. Right. Um, I, I did enjoy it. I mean, I don't think anyone is really going to be offended yeah. by the swearing these no, days. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. So kind of get past that mm. and and you'll you'll actually enjoy quite a compelling story. I okay. think and it's it's a bonkers. Like it's strange. True story. True, truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, well that's that's the key message. It yeah. is worth your time. Because that's time. all anyone really wants to know. Yeah. I mean I can delude myself into thinking they want to hear us talk about, you know, I don't know, camera depth and all that. <laughs> Is it worth your time? You're yeah. saying it is. So I think it is. A yeah. solid three stars for Wicked Little Letters, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the 24th of February. Good thing I have a calendar on my watch. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> that is cool. Let's take a quick clip of Wicked Little Letters. One of them, please. I can take your complaint, sir. One of them. Smart as ever, Mr. Swan. Some values might survive the trenches, Constable. Another letter. It's wicked abuse, this. Edith's not sleeping. She's grizzling all the night, bless her. In and out of bed. Now, I know my law. This is a prison offence. So you better do something about it sharp-like. Before there's a hurdy-baloo. That's a clip of Wicked Little Letters. Now, before I let you go, I've been talking to Neve O'Reilly about it. Neve, uh, SAG, a Screen mm. Actor Guilds Award on Sunday night... We were talking beforehand. I was saying, Killian, it's it's almost home and hose as much as these things ever yeah. can be because of the BAFTAs and, and and what was the other one, the Golden Globes. Yeah. But you're not necessarily convinced. No, I, I don't think those two are really an accurate barometer for maybe the SAGs or the Oscars. Mm. Um, but I think the SAGs are more indicative. If, if you win at the SAGs, I think you might be more likely to win at the Oscars. Okay. Obviously, I have everything crossed, like yeah. literally for Killian. I really, really hope that he wins. But I think Paul Giamatti might just sneak in there. Really? The, he's so good in the holdovers. And he's one of those actors that has been really plugging away like for years yeah. in, in good, good character sort of roles. And I, you know the way things like the SAGs and things like the Oscars have a tendency to reward actors perhaps mm. at the wrong time. So, yeah, you know, that's like an interesting point. Leonardo DiCaprio probably could have won for plenty of his other roles. Yeah. He won for, you know, The Revenant or yeah. whatever it was. So I don't know. I just, I have this niggle in the back of my head. Um, but hopefully... Yeah, the sway will go Killian's direction because he's so good in it. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. It might be a career Oscar, and you know what? The way he, when he was on screen time three weeks ago, mm -hmm. he did seem <laughs> like a very genuine. Oh yeah. shucks, what's all the fuss about? Yeah, and, he and comes across like people that. like that. So, and if, if it's anyone's to go to other than Killian's, it's probably Paul Giamatti's. I, I don't think, think so. anyone else. Is no, I don't yeah. think there's anyone else in the running. I think it's between those two guys. It's a very strong. Uh, category this yeah. year the, the men in particular um, I wouldn't like to be trying to choose between them absolutely you know, if we were anyway impartial no <laughs> but idea. I'm not I want Killian to win <laughs> well if you think she's not flying the Irish flag highly enough ah. you can send a wicked little letter oh no to please O'Reilly <laughs> don't uh, tell me <laughs> freelance writer and film buff of course I'm joking she gave three stars to wicked little letters thanks a lot Neve. thanks Mill. Neve O'Reilly there discussing Wicked Little Letters and of course what's going to happen at SAG this weekend and indeed the Oscars. Up next, an impressionist Al Foran chats about his favourite movie.
Now you're welcome back to the last part of Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now we haven't done the favourite movie slot in a while and by popular demand, well, a few emails. Let's be honest about it. We are returning to it because people do enjoy hearing well-known people chat about their favourite movies. I'm delighted to be joined by one of Ireland's best impersonators, the one and only Al, Al Foran, who does a great Conor McGregor to an equally great Robert De Niro. One wonders why, with such talents, he would spend his time presenting a Man United podcast. But hey, that's probably none of my business. I'm delighted to say he joins me now to chat about his favourite movie. Hello, Al. John, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, We'll get to Man United possibly in a minute, but your favourite movie, you'll be delighted to hear. It hasn't been chosen ever, so tell our listeners what it is and why. Well, my favourite movie, John, is Boogie Nights. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. It came out in 1997. Um, I first properly watched it about, I'd say, 12 years ago when I was actually studying film in Colossus de Dulic. So I kind of understood the, the certain techniques of filmmaking at that point. Uh, I, I kind of thought I was a know-it-all. <laughs> and from that very, that the opening shot of that movie, I was hooked because, because it's a, it's a tracking shot for four minutes. Um, it, it's in, set in a nightclub in, in California at the start. And it's just unbelievable. You're introduced to all of the, the main characters in that nightclub in that four minute tracking shot. Um, for me, it's it's just an incredible film. But just remind people what it's all about, haven't seen it. It takes place in, it's a terrible phrase, but yeah. it is the golden age of the porn business. Yes, it's yeah, it's 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 a seedy kind of background to the movie. It's basically about the ad, the adult film industry, uh, the boom period of the adult fil- film industry in the late 70s, uh, going into the early 80s. And um, it's kind of, there's a, it's set around the same time period, but it's a fictional take with regards to the characters. Um, just an, an amazing movie. The star of the movie, in my opinion, is the director. Mm. Um, the performances obviously are, are solid from all of the actors, but the fact that, you know, a 27-year-old directed this movie, like it's, when you're watching it, it's like you, you you know, you're watching all of the scenes, all of the different shots. It's like this this guy is wise beyond his years and mm. how he's made this movie, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Um, it's his second film as well, his second feature film. And it's just, yeah, for me, I, I just, I'm, 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 I was blown away by it. Mark Wahlberg is the star in it who, who plays this porn yeah. actor. But for many people, the greatest thing about it from an acting point of view, and no disrespect to Mark Wahlberg, is the kind of, people discovered Burt Reynolds again because he's brilliant yeah. in this. 100%. I think he, yeah, he, he got an Oscar nomination for this for Best Supporting Actor. Um, yeah, he's fantastic in it. He he basically plays the the king of the, the adult film industry. Uh, he discovers Mark Wahlberg in being a star in, in, in that industry mm. and he plays his role to a T. And you also have Julianne Moore in it who, like, you know, you can always rely on her. Yes. To, to elevate a movie. I, I just think the supporting cast as well is so strong. You Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, John C. Riley, mm. William H. Macy, and there's a couple others there as well. Um, but it's just, uh, for me, it's it's stylistically, it's, it's one of the coolest films I've ever watched. The soundtrack as well is just, it's an, it's an amazing soundtrack. And I think if you're, if you're a young filmmaker, that that is the movie to watch. You know, mm. if you want if you want to study 
If you want to study the greats, watch that movie. It's mm. incredible. And I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson has made a similar movie since. I know Inherent Vice with Joaquin Phoenix was kind of set around the same time period as Boogie Nights. But I don't think he's made a film like that. Mm. Obviously, There Will Be Blood and Magnolia, masterpieces. But mm-hmm. with Boogie Nights, I think he... Um, he lent a lot from from Scorsese. You can tell there's it's it's very Scorsese inspired in in the way he um in the way the film was shot. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's dark because it it's about people in an industry that doesn't treat them very well. It is. It's 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 very dark. It's kind of like you know if I don't I don't want to give it away too much, but yeah, like when when you're when you're on a high in that industry, mm. you're on a high, and everyone is uh you, you know everyone wants to be your best mate. Yeah. Um, and then when things when things go uh, a little south, nobody wants anything to do with you. And uh, it's it, that's kind of you know when you get towards the end of that movie, you, you find that out with a lot of the characters. Yeah. Um, and I think it is as well. Like it's 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 a fantastic performance from Mark Wahlberg. Um, it's something that a lot of people who haven't seen the movie and have watched a lot of Mark Wahlberg <laughs> movies, which are usually, you know, the, the action blockbuster movies or yeah. the odd kind of action comedy here and there. It's, it's a different kind of performance from him. I think it's definitely up there with his best performance of all time. Yeah. In, with, along with The Departed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I'd, go, I'd go along with that. And tell me this, you mentioned Colostic Doolig there. When, when your life yeah. began, did, did you want to be a movie maker? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I, I loved the. Um, I didn't exactly like the um, the theory part of, <laughs> of of my course, but I loved um, the, the you know I loved the filmmaking part. I loved mm-hmm. you know dealing with actors when we were um, making short films for for the college. It was that was one of the uh, appealing things for me. Yeah, but yeah, I did. I I enjoyed it, and and I, at that time, like I. You could say I was a bit of a snob, John, with regards to how I looked at movies. Now I've, like, ten years later, I've mellowed a bit. I kind of, I don't mind the odd. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm cannot wait to see the new Godzilla and Kong movie. You know, I know how stupid it is. I know how ridiculous it is. But you know, going into it, you just, I shut my mind off. But for me, Boogie Nights, technically, stylistically, story wise, acting, mm. it's just a perfect movie. And the fact that, and I say it again, it was directed by. A guy at the time who was 27 yeah. years old, like it's some feat. Yeah. I don't think, I think the closest I've I've ever seen to a movie that was so impressive from a young director recently was, I think, Damien Chazelle, um, Whiplash. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good pretty, point. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Boogie Nights, the favourite movie of Al Four, never been chosen before, and I completely agree with him. It is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Al, let me ask you this. Uh, I was talking to Patrick Keelty last year for a movie, and he said this yes. great thing. He plays a guy who wants to do comedy in it, and he says, you know, there's, to me, he was saying, there's funny and there's funny for money. Now, people can go online and see your brilliant impersonations, which include a lot of actors, but yeah. What was the moment when you thought, I think I can actually attempt to make a living out of this as opposed to just making my pals laugh? Or maybe there wasn't one eureka moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was also about 10 to 12, 13 years ago, I did my first gig in Port Marnock, the Port Marnock Sports and Leisure Centre in the Martello Room. Uh, that's when I kind of thought at that point, yeah, I could, I could make a career out of this, but it kind of, that was at a standstill for a couple of years. And then about four or five years later, 
you know, the, the power of social media came along with Facebook mm. and I started posting my videos on Facebook and a lot of the, the impressions that kind of got me, that kind of got me that, you know, got me out of my job were the sports impressions, the, the football impressions, the, the fight, the fighting and boxing impressions, mm. the actors I always had in my locker for years. Um, I, I do a lot more of those characters now. I kind of react to the Oscars. I react to certain events like the Barbenheimer last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that's when I decided, I think around 2015, I was working in Tommy Hilfiger and I just said, oh, let's, let's, let's have a stab at this. Let's see what it's like. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gone back since. No, indeed. Indeed but, you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry to put you on the spot because I've, I've watched a lot of your Im- impersonations and they are brilliant. Can you do Paul Giamatti? That's a hard one. When you're talking like Giamatti, <laughs> it's very like that. Isn't it? <laughs> That's I good. I, 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 yeah, I kind of look at his performance in uh, Straight Out of Compton. I think it's that's proper Paul Giamatti. He, he goes, he goes overload in that. I think he plays he plays the manager of of NWA. Yeah, and sorry to <laughs> sorry to treat you like a jukebox here, but just finally, and then I'm going to ask oh, you about the United fine. Way. What what about Daniel Day Lewis? I used to do. Yeah, I used to do the Daniel Plainview impression. I, I, I only I could only do the line. But I, it was your brother Paul that was the chosen one, Eli. I gave him six hundred dollars. Set up his own business. <laughs> I forget the rest of the line. It was I drink your milkshake? I drink it up. <laughs> this could go on Another forever. Paul Thomas Anderson classic. Yeah, there. exactly, exactly. Okay, so listen, regular listeners know I'm an Everton fan, so I find it hard to discuss football at the best of times, particularly at the moment. But all joking aside, the United Way. Now I haven't listened, but I do gather it's very popular among United fans. A podcast on the Go Loud Network, which yes, is great. On the Go Loud Network, and it's dedicated yeah. each week to what's going on in United. Or you tell me what what's going on in your podcast. But that's the United Way. But it's myself and my co-host, uh, fashion influencer, Damien Broderick, who is a huge Manchester United fan. And um, yeah, we've 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 been going now for I think we were on our 26th episode last week. So we we every episode is the name of a United player. Uh, so that was the Shinji Kagawa episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we've so yeah, we just speak about, you know, the results over the weekend. And um, we also have we have guests in. Yeah as well and it's every Tuesday we, we put it out there and yeah it's it's going well it really is we're, we're enjoying it um, you know when there's not a game on the weekend we kind of reminisce back on the glory you know, days <laughs> results yeah we do a, a couple of quizzes the glory days yeah but uh, yeah there's been a lot to talk about this season with the, um, the you know the, the partial takeover yeah um, you know the, the rotten form in the first uh, the first half of the season I think things are getting a little better now but yeah uh, yeah, I mean, I think we were, we were getting sick and tired of going into studio and complaining about about every result over the weekend. But I think the start of the new year, things have gone pretty good for us. So let's hope it stays that way. And I, listen, I have a soft spot for Everton. You know, there. You know, we have the same rivals. Yeah. In in Liverpool, so uh, <laughs> yeah, always... that's true. United and hatred. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> Everyone's welcome to this church, and everyone is welcome to check out Al Foran's uh, podcast that he co-hosts, The United Way, which you'll find on all good podcast players, but particularly the Go Loud Network. And Al, if one people want to know about gigs and see your stuff, it's alforancomedy.com or something like that. It's yeah, Al Foran Comedy. Or, that's my socials: Instagram, TikTok. And it's actually at Impressionist Al 
on Twitter uh-huh. or X as they call it now. Who knows um, anymore? Stick yeah. Al Foran into Google and you'll find him. It's pretty easy. That's what I did. His favourite movie again is Boogie Nights. A pleasure to talk to you, Al. Thanks. Thanks, John. I said I'm ready to shoot. Not now. I'm not going to tell you again, Jack. I'm not going to shoot you in a state you're in. What do you mean state? State, state of California? I know where the f*** I am, Jesus Jack. Jesus Christ, you've been up for two days. No, I haven't been up for two days. Nevertheless, you look like you haven't been slept. So I ain't going to shoot you this way because you don't look good. You know what? You don't tell me anything, okay? Really? You're not the boss of me. Yes, I am. Oh, you're the king, huh? Yes! No, no, no. You shut up, too. You're not the mother of me, and you're not my boss. You're not my mother. No, no, no. I'm taking you home. No, no, take you home. I'm ready to shoot the scene. I want to shoot the scene. I'm fine. I want you out of here. Look, it's over, okay? I'm done. A clip there from Boogie Nights, and that was the favourite movie of Al Foran, and my thanks to him and his impressions. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. Next week, I'm very excited about this. Stellan Skarsgård, the great actor, who's been in everything from Mamma Mia to Chernobyl, who you heard me talking to uh, Jared Harris about earlier. He's going to be talking to me about Dune Part 2 which is great. I'm sorry to spoil it. It's a really good sci-fi movie. Part two is anyway. And he's going to be talking to me all about that. So that and a lot more besides on next week's screen time. In the meantime, you can get in touch with me at any stage. John underscore Farley is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. I'll remind you this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your weekend.